Welcome back to All About Apprenticeships, brought to you by Checktrade.com. I'm Georgie Frost, and this is the podcast that brings you everything you could possibly ever need to know about apprenticeships, from the apprenticeship levy, the skills gaps, the green agenda, and what businesses need to know before taking on an apprentice. The sector is pretty resilient, pretty stable, uh, and certainly from our perspective as an inspectorate, uh, is generally pretty good. You've got to have the learner at the heart of everything you do. Compared to other uh, educational establishments, apprenticeships is hard. It, it's a challenging world. A few employers were saying, well, I've got a levy to spend, how can I spend it? Um, which is kind of the wrong question. Um, what you should be saying is, how can I use my apprenticeship levy to fill the skills gaps that I've got? Lots of messages yep. I get on social media. Um, people... You know, they want to know what you did, how you did it, can, can you make a good living, and you can, but you just got to put a lot extra in and work really hard in the yeah. background. I, I get a lot of messages from older, older, mainly women, because women tend to message women, don't they? They, they want they want a real life experience um, to see how if it's, it's going to work out for them. Coming up in this episode, you've got your GCSE or A-level results, or your child has, but now what? What is the best option for you or for your child? More education, an apprenticeship, a job? Maybe there's another option. We'll try and answer some of the big questions. My guests today are Natasha Devon, mental health campaigner who helps schools and students manage the transition from college or sixth form to the next stage, whether that is apprenticeship, work, uni or a gap year. She's also the author of Yes, You Can, A School Without Losing Your Mind. And Helen Everett, a careers advisor and the careers leader at Chiselhurst at Chislehurst and Sidcup Grammar School. Welcome to you both. Helen, to you first. Have there ever been more options for young people post-16? Um, I think the landscape today is certainly changing. There's a huge wealth of opportunities. It's not just the traditional go to school, leave at 18, go to get a job or go to university. You've got apprenticeships that are on the um, radar. You've got T-levels. You've got you know lots and lots of different qualifications and lots of different um, uh, actual sort of uh, jobs out there, which therefore lead to different qualifications for those jobs. So there is a wealth of opportunity and it's changing all the time, more and more coming out. So yeah, it's looking very positive from that point of view. Very positive, Natasha, but I, I don't know about you, with, with choice, certainly for me, comes a bit of added stress. It's very difficult, isn't it? Charities like The Mix, Young Minds, Childnet, they're always reporting year on year that more and more young people are using their services around this time because they can't deal with the amount of stress that they're experiencing. And I think that has less to do with the amount of choice out there and more to do with the perception that it's not okay to fail. And that if you make the wrong choice, that that mm. has these big consequences and ramifications. So part of the work I do is um, around it's okay to make a mistake because there's always a learning opportunity. Absolutely. Um, Helen, how do you go about trying to help young people figure out which is the best option for them at that time? Because hopefully life is long and you can change your mind later on, as I'm sure many of us have done. But at that time, it is very difficult to make that decision, isn't it? It is. I mean, picking up on you say, I tend to get them to focus on the fact they're going to be working for 50 plus years. Mm. So, Actually, at this point, if it takes them a year to, to make a choice, take, take a gap year if some of them do, or just, just think about things, that's absolutely okay. And also, the likelihood is they're going to have six or seven careers. So don't worry if you 
the first thing you try doesn't work. As long as it's moving you forward, you're learning something about yourself, about what you want to do, then that's positive. Um, and you've got plenty of time. Don't rush anything. Look at all the information that's out there, you know, and, and you know, just take it as slowly as you want to. Um, and as I said, you can change your mind, you can do things differently. Um, and there's just a wealth of opportunity out there. So yeah, just don't rush it. I mean, it's easy, easier said probably than done, I imagine, especially with so much pressure you're from your peers, but also, and this is where I think we, the message to parents, it's a, it's, it is different. It's certainly a different environment to, to when I was at that age and discovering what I wanted. I had no idea what I wanted to be, but you know, like you said, you could have six or seven careers. I think my parents had one, you know, you just, it's very different now. So with that in mind, what message would you have for parents? I think for parents, it's getting them to understand what happened when they were at school is not what the reality of the world is now. Um, you know, the, the 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 thing of universities, for example, are guaranteed. If you go to university, you're going to do brilliant. You're going to get a wonderful career. That is not necessarily the option. Apprenticeships are a huge, huge new field. Um, and a lot of parents don't see those as something that's a good qualification because when they were at school they weren't really there and they weren't really seen as valued but now they're absolutely fantastic if you then combine that with the fact that things like going to university is going to be very expensive you know you really have to think about the debt um, and the, the students talk to each other they talk to people they know two or three years above so they know what people who are now at university or who have gone into apprenticeships are finding and they're they're talking to those so I spend a lot of time talking to parents educating parents about what the career options are how it's changed um, and encouraging them to go into school and talk to the likes of me um, uh, in in their school to get help and advice because it, it is really changing significantly for the better for the students because there mm. is more choice you know it's not sort of the be all and end all of just one route or another there's lots so it's come to see us come to talk to us and we'll give you lots of help do you find that young people have a, a pretty decent idea of of the path that they want to take or do a lot of them come to you with absolutely no idea which direction to go in i think it, it's the answer is it varies um there are some students who have a very clear idea from the age of six, you know, they know exactly what they're going to be. Um, and then you have other students who really just don't have a clue. Um, and it also varies in schools. Some schools now have absolutely excellent careers advice. But again, parents are used to what they had at school when there wasn't much. And it's like, no, no, go into your school. They do now have to have careers leaders. They've got careers leaders, careers advisors. Um, and so some students are really gelled up on it. They do their own research, the wonders of the internet and social media and everything else. Um, and they're fine, but it's the ones that don't really have a clue. And also when you're 16 or you're 15 or you're 14, the concept of finding a job in three years time or three years is a lifetime away. I don't have to do anything now. So there is always that, you know, side of things. So, you know, in schools, it, it's getting the careers leaders and that being proactive, getting students to start thinking about this earlier and therefore they have more time to find out the information. But it depends upon one student to the parents and three, what the school's doing as to what the information out there is. Natasha, what's your take? Do you think young people are perhaps more prepared now, have a greater idea of where they want to go or is the choice just overwhelming? 
Well, lots of jobs that young people will be doing in the future haven't been invented yet. We're living at this really pivotal moment in time where the introduction of AI is really changing the job landscape. And, you know, you take my job, for example, it's a made up job. It involves going into three schools a week, delivering talks and conducting research on mental health and related issues. And that happened as a result of my own mental health difficulties. And then, you know, various people that I met along the way and qualifications that I picked up. And very often I get young people asking me, how did you get into what you do? I'd really like to be a campaigner and author. And there isn't a linear path to that kind of job. And so my advice is always to get as much experience as you can. There was a period of time, for example, where I was training to be a paralegal um, because I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And I knew some people who worked in law and I thought, why not? And those skills that I learned are hugely transferable in terms of what I do now, having a basic understanding of the law and how it works. So nothing is ever a a waste of time and don't feel like everything has to follow on from the previous thing. How tough is it? We have a lot of results that have just come out recently, A-levels, GCSEs, of course. You know, how tough is it for young people mentally to, to handle results not going their way? It's really interesting, I think, the conversations that happen around results day, because what tends to happen is you get the stories about exam stress and then you get pundits saying, well, the exams aren't any harder than they were 10 years ago or 20 years ago. And whether or not the exams themselves are harder is entirely the wrong conversation. It's about what the exams represent, because if you think about it, you've got coursework has been eroded slowly over the past 10 years or so. So you've got these two or three years of your education that are pointing at your performance on this one day. And then, you know, if you do choose to go to university, there's more debt associated with that. If you are going into the world of work, the world of work is more competitive than it's ever been. So that performance on exam day is more significant than it's been in previous decades, which is why there's all the the stress around it, I think. But again, you can learn about how you perform under pressure. Even um, everybody who goes into an exam is in fight, flight or freeze everybody, because it's a weird situation. But most of us have a propensity for either fight, which is where you don't read the question properly and you just write a load of nonsense, flight, which is where you think, how can I get out of this? What if I'm sick? What if I faint? Um, Or freeze, which is where you forget everything that you've revised and you go blank. So you learn about your stress response, which is a really useful thing to know about yourself, because the next time it happens, you can go, okay, I'm in flight, fight or freeze. I need to do a quick mindfulness activity or some breathing exercises to get myself out of this stress response. Uh, yes, fantastic. I was just thinking, I, I wish I had that sort of uh, viewpoint when I was taking exams that actually just take take a moment, but it's so difficult under that pressurised situation. And as I said to Helen, it's very difficult when you have the pressure of, again, your peers, your parents, you know, have you let down your parents? When you In your book, Yes, You Can, A School Without Losing Your Mind, there's a chapter about results day itself. Now, obviously, they've passed now, but what are the key things to make sure that you make the best decisions, whatever? Because when we are in those sorts of flight, freeze, or fight, get that right, fight, flight, or freeze, that is hard to say. So when you you are in uh, an emotionally overwhelming situation, whether that's within an exam or when you've just got the results, 
your, I imagine decision making is not at its peak. So what do you need to do when you, and, and it can last, you know, months, if not longer, what mm. can you do to make sure that you make a good decision now? Well, one of the pieces of, of advice I give is to disregard everybody else's response because the adults around you are not immune from making silly comments. And, you know, there's things, as part of my research for the book, I asked adults who are happy and successful and fine now to remember things that were said to them on results day and in the aftermath by adults, that those adults would have completely forgotten they said, but left a lasting impression on them because it was such an important moment in their life. Disregard that. and recognize that you're probably not in the best space to make an objective decision. And that's why I've actually included, there's a a decision scientist called Dr. Alan Barnard, who um, advised setting out, what do I want to do more of in the future? What do I want to do less of? And then also imagining your worst case scenario and your best case scenario. And there's actually a graph that you can fill out in the book and you sort of score all of these different scenarios out of 10 and then you come up with the right path for you in this very kind of scientific way. So it takes all of the emotion away and gives you a formula basically for working it out. Helen, what are the key things to take into account when choosing the right path, do you think? Um, well, picking on what Natasha says there, I mean, I very much sit down with the students and go, right, talk me through who you are. What do you like doing? What are your skills? You know, do you like working with people? Do you want to be in a group of three or four people in what you're doing? Or do you like being on your own, looking at a piece of paper and analysing graphs and things like that? You know, do you want to be working in an office? Do you want to be working for a small company where it's part of a family? Or do you want to be in a big corporate? You know, are you somebody that's the centre of the gossip network? You know, you're probably very good then at networking. Yeah. Are you the person that's everybody just goes to because you know all the deadlines for everything can you just have everybody organized those are the sort of transferable skills that you need in every single career and it's getting them to think about then taking that together if we're looking at all your skills what sort of things might you want to do i mean i had somebody who didn't have a clue what they wanted to do hadn't got a clue all through school didn't wasn't getting their um, exam results compared to everybody else Um, and i sat them down and i got them to do this through and they love proofreading everybody else's work and as I was writing I was writing out some notes on the meeting we're having and she was going oh you need to do a semicolon there for that as I was doing it and I went have you ever thought of working in a solicitor's firm (laughs) which is what she's doing um and you know she's she's loving it she's a solicitor's technician she does all of the sort of research stuff and everything else like that really really enjoying herself although she got you know failed one of her A-levels. One of them, she didn't get the grade she wanted. And the third one, she did. So she didn't do brilliantly. But she didn't need to do, because exams aren't the be-all or end-all, as you are saying there, Nahesha. Quite often, it's about thing about how you learn as well. So I've got some students who I'm saying, actively saying, do not do A-levels. Go and get an apprenticeship. You are a practical person. You are. You would be wonderful at all the coursework you used to be able to do, but you can't do that now. You know, go and do an apprenticeship. You're working. You can see what you're doing and how it fits with the the job that you're doing, and therefore you see it's it's something you're relevant to what you want to do. Therefore, go and do that. So it's very much about getting away from. I'm doing English, therefore I'm going to be a solicitor. I'm doing maths, therefore I'm going to be an accountant. Getting them to think about more themselves and and therefore what they want to develop. Natasha, you've both mentioned the debt of of university. How much of an extra added burden and stress is that? And therefore, do you suspect that more kids will be thinking or are they thinking more about doing apprenticeships 
I think that's definitely part of the equation. And in fact, there was some news just this week that said that many universities are offering these condensed courses. So you're only on campus three days a week, which then frees up two days a week for you to be able to have a part time job. Increasingly, employers are are saying, you know what, I don't really value degrees in the way that I used to. I'm looking more for experience. And Ultimately, I, I think that the huge amount of university debt that so many people leave with is a travesty. But I do think that the positive spin on what's happening is it's making people think more carefully about whether university is right for them. Because for some people, it is absolutely the right path to go to university. But there was a period where it was just what everybody was expected to do. And it isn't right for everyone. And the fact that we, we're starting to say now, we're not expecting degrees as you know any old degree will do. It's just a level of, of qualification that everybody's expected to have. There's a real backtracking on that at the moment and employers are increasingly looking for that more practical experience that shows that you can work in a team, you can work with people and you know what it's like to be in a workplace environment. And, and there are other pathways opening up and I think that's really positive. Natasha, do you think secondary schools are building enough resilience in young people? Are they getting them ready well enough for the decisions that they have to make, the big wide world of work and university? It's a really interesting question, that, because the the psychological definition of resilience is the number of meaningful connections you have in your life. And that's whether with other people or perhaps the resources that you have available to you to help you to meet life's challenges. And that's what young people are increasingly having stripped away. So if if you look at what's happening in education, all of the things that we know support mental health, sport, art, music, drama, they're the things that we have less and less time for. Things like mental health services are being stripped away. Educational psychology has been cut um, systematically since 2010. And so in young people's environment, there is less available to support them. I don't think resilience is something you can teach. It's certainly not an attitude that you can choose to switch on or off. You can nurture resilience in a young person, but that's more about putting them in the right environment than it is going, you need to be more resilient. So I I think it's more about um, putting those services and those opportunities and those activities back into the school week than it is looking at the individual and saying, why aren't you being more resilient, if that makes sense? Uh, Yeah, I agree with that. It's very much about, I mean, schools are spending a lot of time trying to support students, but it's getting them students to understand that who their networks are who their friends are talk to people you know people are so used to just typing something into their into their phone and that sitting down with somebody and just having a good cry or a good moan or a good scream because it's not going right and that's actually something that's very very important and we're having to do quite a lot of work on that um, with students and I think I think resilience very strange but on results day I saw a huge number of students who suddenly had this stress lifted because they'd never, ever had their own genuine exam results. Their GCSEs were somebody else had given them to them and they didn't believe. So they had nothing of themselves to believe in. And suddenly having on a piece of paper what they actually had got for a significant number of students who, who I say were quite sort of 
delicate to a certain extent coming up to the exams, you could see this strength suddenly building in them. And certainly that's something we're trying to get students to understand. Failing is just your first attempt in learning. And actually, it's a good thing. And all you've got to do is have those networks and talk to people to learn from it. And it might take you two or three years to learn from it in some things. As you were saying, Tasha, it takes a while to get used to it. But it's okay. Um, and in fact, it's a good thing. So embrace failure, because if you don't make any mistakes, you're never going to succeed in life because you'll never learn. Um, and, and I think the fact that now they've all had a set of exams, actually, for bizarre reason, actually will help that to some extent. Learning how to fail is, I don't think, a particularly British quality. I don't think it's easy for adults to do, let alone children. But I want to sort of broaden this out, actually, Natasha, and... And, and talk about general, we hear a lot of negative stories about you know, young people's mental health, social media, all those sorts of things. Are there any techniques that parents can help their children with or children can employ that can help them through what is you know, it's a difficult time? And it seems from the outside looking in like it's getting more difficult for young people. So what we are seeing is with each successive generation, higher levels of perfectionism. And one of the things we need to get over, particularly in British culture, is thinking that perfectionism is a positive thing. <laughs> because what it actually is, is setting yourself very high standards, impossibly high standards, actually, being incredibly hard on yourself when you don't attain those unrealistic goals, and then self-sabotaging. And they've actually done experiments with children where if they're a perfectionist, they, they give them three tasks, an easy task, a medium task, and a difficult task. If they're a perfectionist, they'll pick the easier task because they're more concerned with getting 100% than they are with trying their best. So I think one of the things that we can do as people around young people is start recognizing and rewarding effort as opposed to attainment. And that's certainly something that I try and say around, around results day and, and exams in particular is, did you try your hardest? And if you know you did your best, you should be incredibly proud of yourself. The result is a byproduct. You can only control the effort. And that's what we need to be recognising. The work of Dr. Carol Dweck, I think, uh, yeah. rings out here. Um, Helen, are apprenticeships really on students' radars? You spoke there about parents, certainly in my parents' generation, apprenticeships, if they were around, weren't really considered an option, not for nice kids. You know, are they actually genuinely on students' radars? I think the answer is very much so now with particularly now that you've got this, you know, up to £60,000 plus debt coming out when you come out of university. And they're talking to, to students who were two or three years older than them who are now finishing university. And a lot of parents, um, I get um, a lot of parents coming and talking to me because you sort of go, yes, you've got the tuition fees, but you also know you've also got to pay for the accommodation and everything mm. else above that. So that's another £10,000 a year and the horror on their faces. So I think the financial cost of university has really, with, particularly with the cost of living crisis as well, is really hitting home. Um, and I think also... Um, your apprenticeships now, your higher end degree apprenticeships, I mean, I've been talking about them at school for 10 years or so, really encouraging students and increasing over the last 10 years. They are a really fabulous qualification. You, know, you can go to you can go to a top quality university 
um, whilst being paid to do it and being paid to work and getting so much experience, which makes you such a marketable person. Um, and you can end up in the same situation as somebody who went to university, but you've got a degree, you've been paid for it, you've got experience, they've just got a degree and lots of debt. What's, you know, and I get students after I give talks and stuff at school about this and parents going, so what's the catch? Because this is just too good to be true. And the answer is it's not too good to be true. They are really, really good. You have to do your research to make sure that they're covered, you know, that they are a bona fide sort of qualification backed up by the industry body like the Law Society or the Institute of Chartered Engineers, if you're doing that sort of things. Um, and that, But they are really fabulous. And the companies are finding they're really good because they can shape somebody. They, you know, they've got somebody coming in who's keen, enthusiastic and wants to work for their company. So whether it's sort of your advanced apprenticeships, or, which are alternatives to A-levels, or your higher and degree apprenticeships, the alternative to a degree, they are a huge part of, should be a part, huge part of everybody's looking at what sort of um, direction they're going to go in. I've done a lot of work with parents because, it's, as you say, parents have still got the attitude of 30 years ago. Um, but once you educate the parents... They go, right, yeah, great. You know, the biggest, two biggest issues. One, in some schools like my school, they all know about it because we sell it, we explain it. In some schools, it's not even on the radar because all teachers went to the university route. So they have no knowledge of apprenticeships unless they built that knowledge. So in some schools, it's brilliant, loads of information. Other schools, not yet. Um, and, and that's something that obviously the government is working with various bodies to, to get that better across the board. Um, but once people find out about them, yeah, you can't hold them back in terms of it. We, we probably have now pretty much 60 to 70% of our students will be applying for apprenticeships. Um, as well as, and quite often students will be, my A-level students will be applying for apprenticeships and university and then deciding which one they're going to go for on results day. And a lot of them are going the apprenticeship route. So yeah, really good option. Natasha, are you seeing the same thing? Have you noticed a shift in attitude from parents and students towards apprenticeships? Definitely, I've noticed a shift in attitude from employers. Um, I don't know whether that has filtered through to parents yet um there is still i think some anxiety around you know if my child doesn't go to university is that going to put them at a disadvantage but like i say it's not for everyone there there are some people for whom it absolutely is the right path and they should be facilitated to be able to go to university regardless of their economic background but there are some people who it's just not the right environment for them and and I think we should celebrate the fact that young people have so many more choices no not a one size fits all Thank you so much to Helen and Natasha and to you for listening to this episode of All About Apprenticeships. If you want to get in touch to have your say on anything we've been talking about today, you can find more on Checker Trade's new apprenticeship and skills channel, aboutapprenticeships.com. And if you're engaging on social, just use the hashtag allaboutapprenticeships. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please do leave a rating and hit subscribe. It helps other people find us.